Hello and welcome to another edition of Dead Bites, hosted by me, Ian Todd, from the Won't Stay Dead podcast. This episode I spoke to Sorav Dutt, horror fan, screenwriter and author of Cannibal Metropolis, a gory piece of pulp fiction that harks back to the Italian cannibal genre of the 1970s. Uh, the book takes the cannibal gore of directors like Deodato and Lenzi and moves it to the big smoke, adding a hefty slice of social satire that puts it in the realm of Romero's zombie films. There's a lot of Fulci-style gore too, and it will certainly please anyone with a love for the Italian exploitation cinema of the video nasty era. Uh, Cannibal Metropolis has received praise from the likes of Eli Roth and Lloyd Kaufman, and a quick scan of its Amazon reviews reveals just how shocking and gory the book is. One reviewer described it as fast-paced, action-packed and well-written, with a gut-munching mix of politics, gore and action. I started off the interview by asking Sorav how the novel came about. It was the buzz around the Green Inferno that got me thinking about this, um, Cannibal Metropolis. But the real genesis of it was um, Ruggero Diodato had thought about an idea called Cannibal Metropolis many years ago and he had thought about updating his original story to an urban landscape and he had left it at that. There were no more descriptions about it. You could maybe hear about it on Fangoria and stuff but it was literally a sentence and I thought at the time that would be a really interesting idea and then that died, it never got made And then the Green Inferno was getting completed and it got me sort of thinking more about the cannibal genre again. So I rewatched Holocaust and I rewatched Cannibal Faroe, which isn't as good. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. But it got me thinking about the genre and I just started putting paper to pen. And the real inspiration was there was a news story of two tourists who went to French Polynesia to a remote island for a holiday, um, newly um, engaged or married, something like that. And they went off with a uh, tribe, tribe, um, sorry, a tourist guide to show them around the forests and the jungles and to go on a goat trail, basically. Turned out that this guy was actually a descendant of an ancient cannibal tribe and he had the, ta- he had the tattoo markings all over his body. And he attacked the couple. He um, cannibalized the the man, um, but and he locked up and chained up the um, the female. She didn't know that the fiance was going to be cannibal food, basically. And she managed to amazingly escape. And that story set the scene for me. And I read that, and I thought to myself, "This is amazing. It's happening today." And I so I had the in my I, in my head a story of a can a cannibal story because that doesn't get enough um, time in uh, horror movies these days the cannibal genre generally mm. but I've always wanted to do something a sort of zombie updated Dawn of the Dead type story that's relevant to today's political climate today's geopolitical world and I thought well why not marry the two together. So the beginning of the book, as you know, starts off in total Green Inferno cannibal holocaust mold. And it's based on that story about the couple who got attacked. And then I sort of thought, well, let's mix it up with something political. And that's where the Dawn of the Dead idea came. Mixing Occupy Wall Street with an idea about, can you imagine if these cannibals creatures um, ran loose on New York City and Times Square 
And how would the, you know, it's a sort of backlash, it's a blowback from a military campaign. Because as you know the story, they they use this cannibal attack because in the story the attack is on a senator's um, daughter who survives. And the senator is a is a gung-ho, real crazy Republican type, um, which we're seeing today. We've got a Donald Trump, who's someone who would easily nuke someone just for the hell of it if he could. Mm-hmm. And it's we've got this, so this gung-ho senator character I had. And he thought, well, we're currently waging a war in Syria. Why don't we use some cannon fodder? And he so he tries to raise the... Um, the, the jungle with some phosphorus gas but that only ends up creating these hybrid creatures it doesn't kill the cannibals so basically the military take the cannibals they decide let's use them as creatures to use in Syria but in the in, interim period they escape and they run riot so basically I wanted to put together the two genres but the initial inspiration was that cannibal story I read and I read that there's been another attack in another French Polynesian island not too long ago the, the the actual um, opening of the book is is very different to to the rest of it. I think there's when you kind of read read that that opening chapter and uh, and you and you get the description of the uh, the uh, woman being kind of chained up and, and captured. It it really does give you that kind of that that sense that that kind of feeling that, that you get from uh, from the Italian cannibal films. And it's it's actually inc- 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 <laughs> incredibly shocking. But then once you kind of move beyond that, then it does kind of become. Uh, Almost like you know, like a kind of classic zombie film, like um, in the kind of Romero style, you know, uh, yeah. scientists versus versus military. But but that um op- opening scene, I mean, it's 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 absolutely horrendous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it um, I, like I took the inspiration, like I said, from the story, but I didn't have a lot to work with. Um, but I had always wondered um, because what I wanted to I thought about how about basing the entire book in the jungle but then I thought well that's been done before and with the Green Inferno coming out it's not something I want to just retread but what I really when as I was writing I remember because I'm quite a big um, Deodato fan and I love uh, Cannibal Holocaust and as you probably know and a lot of your listeners know there was a piranha scene cut out of the film filmed but not left in the movie. I'm not sure what happened to the material. But all you know is this very basic information about a guy who's... Amp- he got he got his leg chopped off in some sort of botched amputation and they lower him into this swamp full of piranhas. And that's all you know because there's some pictures of it on the net, but no one really knows much about it. And I thought it would be really a great homage, basically, to write a scene that mirrors that and... A lot of people have given me positive feedback about that. It sort of revisits that classic film and it brings to life something that they'll never be able to see. But yeah, I wanted that first scene to really set the pace of the story. Just adrenaline-filled, extremely gory, um, no-holds-barred, high suspense. So that's how I wanted to start the book and I think I kept it going. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it doesn't it doesn't really relent um, um, after that opening scene, and you are kind of uh, harking back to the um, grindhouse kind of gory grindhouse films of of the seventies and eighties. Because I read somewhere or I heard somewhere that whenever the people who owned the drive through cinemas were were selecting the films that they were going to show, they would only ever watch the first ten minutes. And kind yeah. of go, oh, you know, like is is this is this good enough? So so directors caught on to this, and therefore the first ten minutes of of those films are usually the most insane and the most gory, and um, just just yeah. to, just to get the the audience and, and and the distributors hooked. 
I mean, like, was that kind of an, an intention of, of yours? You know, to, to within the first chapter, the reader has absolutely no no doubts as to, as to what the rest of the book is going to be yeah. like. I mean, yeah, I mean, that reminds me of the trailers for these Grand House movies. Um, they're much better than the films, usually. I mean, you watch these trailers on, and they're awesome. They're like, I really got to see that. Then you watch the film, and it's usually quite crap in comparison. Um, but with this, I thought to myself, people who love this genre, they will love that first chapter, because I, as a horror fan and of this genre want to see the sort of stuff I was writing about. I wrote it as a fan of these movies, and that, that comes across. Even some of the characters, they're nice little winks to horror icons. You know, there's characters like Henriksen, Senator Henriksen, which is Lance Henriksen, basically. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the, a character called Dr. Lee, who is pretty much Christopher Lee. But I've, I wrote it as someone who loves these films, and for readers who will pick up on all these things. They'll pick up on all the nods. They'll pick up on all the love, the gore. And no one has, everyone has appealed that um, they thought it would go, you know, that the gore would stop, but it kept coming and it kept getting worse and worse (laughs) and, you know, pushing the boundaries. And I thought, I've only had one guy ever come to me and he said, this is too mild. And I thought to myself, you're probably the kind of guy that thinks the guinea pig films are mild. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. everyone else, even hardened horror fans, they're like, yeah, you really pushed the boat. So I'm glad I did that. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually noticed the um, the attributes to the to the other characters. The other two I noticed were Saxon and England. Yeah. England's obviously um, uh, uh, Freddy Krueger. Um, yeah, Robert, uh, uh, Robert England. England. Yeah, and is is Saxon supposed to be John Saxon? That's right, John Saxon, and then there's a military character called Bean, who's Michael Bean from the Alien movies. Brilliant. The, the main character, um, some of the CEOs, there's a there's a female character you come across later she's called Faye. Um, my uh, visualization of her was Faye Dunaway, the actress. I just visualized this very well kept sort of Southern belle, arrogant type of woman. <laughs> ah, <laughs> this, yeah. I- I thought I, I thought that was a reference to uh, Faye Daniels, the uh, character in Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, no, no, good, good nod. But um, no, it was Faye Dunaway. I based it on Faye Dunaway. Um, but then there were other characters like um, there's a character called Karloff. It's obvious who he's supposed to be. But um, yeah, I just wanted, and I thought to myself that people who are going to be reading, you can tell by the cover that this is pretty much, you know, this is not to be fucked with type book <laughs> but um i thought that um if i were to pick up this book based on that cover i don't want to be disappointed so that's why there's a throw the kitchen sink at it gore wise and and i don't relent because that's what i want to read but you don't watch you know there's like there's people who um cannibal take cannibal holocaust there's so many people who say these animal killings are disgusting but they still go out and buy the uncut version and it's just like me i watch it I can half the time I can't sit through those scenes, but I went out and got the uncut version anyway. And then there's these Japanese movies like Grostik, for example, or a Serbian film or Human Centipede. It's disgusting, but you go out and you get the uncut version anyway to put yourself through it. And that's the sort of person I was writing for. The sort of person who, you know, how far is how far can a rape scene with a zombie go? Well, let's find out. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> what, that's what I was sort of trying to do 
But because of the the uh, subject matter and and the gore and the and the violence and kind of particularly the uh, sexual violence, it, is is that I mean, did, did did that cause problems with with potential publishers because you did decide to go down the um, self self publishing route? Yeah, with this one, um, because it's 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 unprintable. I mean, funnily enough, as a graphic novel, I got one publisher saying. If you put this out as a graphic novel, it's probably easier for us to put out. But when you describe it in this way, you are, especially in this country, this country has a huge problem with um, sexualized violence. Um, even today, I think, I might be wrong on this, maybe you can tell me, but the cannibal holocaust, uncut, still trims the rape scenes. I'm not sure, but I'm, pre- I'm quite confident they still have an issue. England, UK still has an issue with sexualized violence. So they were like, if you are going to go this far and you're going to write all this stuff, you are running running the risk of sexualizing the violence. So I thought to myself, well, I'm not cutting anything. And I'm one of those people, I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't like editing anything because someone tells me to. So I had to go down that route. But um, you can tell by the cover, the cover is done by an artist through Anchor Bay. The um, you know, the studio who puts out loads of the our, our favorite horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's from Anchor Bay. Um, and Eli Roth found out about the book, and um, the organization that he runs, one of his production houses, requested it, and he's got a copy of the book. Lord Kaufman, who's done the Troma movies, he Whoa. read about it, and he was like, "I've got to read this as well." So sent it to Troma Towers. But yeah, I had to go down the indie route on this only because the stuff in there is just, it's too graphic. But they, if you write it as a novel, they have a problem with it. If you write it as a graphic novel with pictures, it's suddenly not so bad. Don't ask me why they don't have a problem with that. But um, censorship in this country, you know how it is. Is there a body that r- regulates... Um, literature in in the same um, way, in the same way as the BBFC because I was going to say you, you, just as videos kind of yeah. in, in the early 1980s in the UK got beyond the, the BBFC loophole literature they, they will, yeah I mean that they they use that term morally corrupt or if they want they can stretch that out to literature I mean obviously books like um, I don't know Birth of a Nation and Catch 22 and Catcher in the Rye they all fell foul but that's usually in the US but in this country I'm sure stuff like um, the story of O or Lady Chatterley's Lover, they all had their issues. Um, But yeah, I don't know, I'm not aware of any legislation, but um, if something got popular enough and, you know, if I had gone down the publishing route and this had gone into, say, W.H. Smith's and someone picked up on it and the stuff that's in there, I'm sure I would would have had issues with somebody. There's no way they would would have put it into a a mass publishing house. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, which I'm proud of, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> good, good to hear. Um, the other most kind of notable um, aspect of the the book is that it's it's clearly a um, a satire of the uh, war on terror, particularly the the uh, depiction of um, Muslims in the mainstream media. Yeah, I mean, all of that is relevant. I mean, as I was writing it politically, this is all against the backdrop of what's going on on the other side of the world, and for me. It's, Good horror is always far deeper than what's on the surface. Even adrenaline junkie splatter... Like, you you don't watch a Romero movie and you don't walk away from... 
all Romero films have a deeper context. That's why they're so powerful, especially to us horror fans. I wanted that because I could easily have just made this a cannibal rampage with entrails, you know, intestine ripping scene after another. It needed a deeper context, and that's where the political stuff came in. And I wanted to mirror the, um, you know, uh, Ruggiero Diodata made a great point with cannibal um, holocaust way back when he said media are obsessed with violence, and they are. But also, there's a political school of thought that's obsessed with violence. You know, a more conservative Republican frame of mind. They are quite content to arm Syrian rebels to the teeth, send them over to the Middle East, and as that's okay as long as they're cutting the heads off other people who we don't mind getting their heads cut off, you know? And there's a big hypocrisy there because it's one thing when you see ISIS doing it, but when the people we're sending across to spread wanton violence are doing it, it's somehow okay. But you don't get to see that on all mainstream media. You only see it on a few, you know, other sort of um, websites and um, sort of like press TV or things like that or Russia Today or whatever. And the, and the description of Muslims is very apt because Hollywood has always picked on um, ethnic minorities. If, if it was American Indians during John Wayne era, whether it was Chinese people, whether it was Indians, whether it, and now it's Muslims. Muslims are always the same, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And the media is quite content to paint them in that way. So I wanted to draw a parallel between you know, let's make these cannibals into zombies and send them over to the Middle East and kill loads of Muslims. That's quite cool. Um, And that parallels what's happening today. And and I think anyone can pick up on that. And a lot of the context about... There's there's periods in the book that are like transcripts from news shows, which I thought was a really cool idea because if you watch Fox News... I mean, thank God we don't have Fox News here. Mm. But if you were to watch Fox News or any of these really, really crazy right-wing American publications, and you watch their debates, and you watch them debating about anything, the stuff they talk about is straight out of a Hollywood script. And that's what I wanted to mirror. The way these people talk about war, it's as if they're talking about the next Transformers movie. It's like there's no consequence to it. They don't, they don't care about the bloodshed. And until you've seen it, you don't believe it. So I wanted to get that across in the book. And people, the US readers have always commented to me that it doesn't seem sort of... Uh, it's a caricature and it's satirical, but they know full well what it's referring to. Um, with us here in England and the UK, um, they're a lot more conservative, but you've probably seen in the last few months that even our conservative media are saying a lot of horrible things about Muslims. So it's catching on. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, there's... There's definitely a worrying, worrying kind of um, trend developing in in British media, where even the BBC are are, are kind of becoming yeah. uh, that way, and it's it's incredibly worrying. I mean, what, one of the, one of the great the great moments in the book is is kind of the depiction of the anti-war movement and, and how the anti-war movement are just completely vilified, and you know, well, if, if, yes. they're, if they're if they're against the war, and They've got a Muslimy sounding name in inverted commas. Um, That's it. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's a main character in there who, because there's a scene where they get stuck in the, they get stuck in the in the, in the headquarters of the bank 
which is very much like getting stuck in the mall in Dawn of the Dead. Mm. And one of the characters, who is an occupier character, is a Muslim. And while they're in there, people, they turn on him simply because he's, a, one, he's an anti-capitalist, occupy, pro-occupy movement guy, and two, he's a Muslim. So they pick on him for that, and he's as good as a sacrificial lamb to allow the other guys to escape. Mm. So yeah, I wanted, I did want to highlight that. What was the uh, process of, of of writing the book? I mean, how, how long did it take you? And specifically with regard to the the gore scenes, I mean, were they, yeah, were they difficult to write? They were difficult to write. I mean, you could read that book and you'd probably think I'm one sick mf because there is some disgusting stuff in there. But I'm probably a, I'm one of these horror guys fans who. I'm not desensitized to the point where I can find, like, for example, um, I watched something the other day. It was In a Glass Cage. I don't know if you've seen that film. No. Um, and then there was another one called Beyond the Darkness, Bio Omega. I can't remember the name of the director, but this it's really, uh, it's hard hitting. And, oh, actually, there's another one. Have you seen Men Behind the Sun? No, no. Okay, that's about, um, it's a Chinese movie, but it's about Japanese concentration camps. And it's so hard to watch, not least because it's true, but the gore as well. So I haven't become desensitized to a point where that doesn't repel me. There's still stuff I can't sit through, but I make myself sit through it anyway, because I'm just weird like that. But um, yeah, I would write these scenes... And I would stop at a certain point and I would think to myself, is that enough? And then I would think to myself, as a horror viewer, how many times have we watched a splatter movie or a slasher movie and we thought to ourselves that was quite tame or they didn't go far enough? Or sometimes they go so, like the Hatchet movies, they're really good fun, but the gore in some of them is so ridiculous, it's just like, what the hell, that's stupid. But if you watch the gore in, say, Rob Zombie's Halloween sequels, it's just okay. It's brutal, it's violent, and it makes you uncomfortable. That's what I wanted to get across in this. I wanted it to be uncomfortable, not just he ripped this out and he split her open and this, that, blah, blah, blah. It had to go painstakingly exact. It had to be uncomfortable. It had to make you feel uncomfortable reading it. And everyone who's read this and has given me feedback has said that they would read these and they would read these descriptions of the gore scenes and they would think just when it would stop, it kept going further and further and further. And that's the way I feel when I watch a, when I watch a gory horror movie. When I go and buy a DVD of a really gory horror film, I have expectations um, and I don't want to be let down. And I, didn't, and I wanted the same of that for readers of this book, which is why I plastered a warning sign on the cover because so many people, even you've commented this, that even with the warning sign in mind, they still weren't prepared for how extreme the gore and violence was. So it, they were difficult to write some of these scenes. Some of the scenes were easy, like when people get their comeuppance, it's always great. Like in, you know, in Dawn of the Dead, um, I can't remember the name of the character, but... It's like in Jaws when when Quint gets eaten by the shark. Part of you is sort of like, you deserve this, you know. (laughs) And so some of writing those scenes were easier. But when you're writing about like some of the female attack scenes, they were difficult to write. 
And a part of me worried that if someone catches on to this and they are angry about it, I don't really have a leg to stand on because they are quite sadistic. And I knew when I was writing them that they were sadistic. But then I always thought to myself, I'm writing this for my audience. And my audience are people who are sadistic sometimes. You know, they get the guinea pig films. They get the guinea pig box set. They go and get Ichi the Killer uncut, things like that. And those are the sort of people who I wanted to read this and think, wow, even I was blown away by this. Did you have any problems... um when kind of members of your family or, or, or your friends read it, you know, with, with regard to the violence? Um, family don't know about it. I just told them don't even bother reading it. <laughs> um, and and friends, I have a I have a little horror fan club fr- a, a friend base. They were like, we knew you had it in you. They weren't surprised because every now and again, we always sit down and we watch... I spit on your grave and stuff like this. So they know full well um, what I'm capable of. But I hadn't pushed myself to do something. Because this is my second horror book. Um, the first was a book about, it was sort of a more about satanic worship and background. This was full out, balls to the wall, cannibal zombie genre. So no, but it, I, I wanted really to get feedback from strangers or people I've not met and it's them that everyone's commented on the cover. They love the cover, um, which I'm happy about because we put a lot of effort into that. And they always want to read the book. And when they do read it, they always say, yep, this is just like a Lucio Fulci film. When you've seen The Beyond or you've seen City of the Living Dead, you notice the way Fulci or Zombie, um, the way Fulci goes through his gore scenes, they don't stop. It's like oh, they're going to do this and then they're going to do this and House by the Cemetery, oh no, they're not going to do that. But then they do that and then it keeps going and going and going. That's what I wanted to portray in the book. I wanted to get that feeling that you get when you watched Fulci's movies. You were thinking, no, he's not going to do that. And then, yeah, they do that. The the zombie does this to the woman or the eye is splintered in this way. Or have you seen City of the Living Dead? By yeah, Fulci? you have, yeah. yeah. So you know the scene where poor Bob gets his, uh, he gets, uh, I can't remember, he gets um, a bandsaw through his head or something. Yeah, yeah, he has like a drill, I think, yeah. That's it, that's it. So when I was, I'm sure when you were watching that film, you were, that scene, you were thinking they're not going to show all of that. And they did, they showed all of that. <laughs> so And it's like in, um, in the tarantula scene in the beyond or stuff like that. I wanted to just push it. But um, the answer to your question is that um, friends and family would be too horrified. But um, I'm happy that strangers who love this genre have come back to me and said, this went way beyond what I was expecting. That's what I wanted. That's the reception I wanted to get. It's something kind of horror fans are only too well aware of. There's There, there are certain people in your life that you just, you don't tell them the uh, kind of films that you watch mm. because you know that they'll just think that you're an absolute psycho. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean... What was the film I was watching? It was with it was with my friend who's a hardcore horror fan. Maybe I think it was. A, have you seen a Serbian film? Uh, I've read the plot synopsis and I've decided yeah. I'm, I'm 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 never ever going to watch it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And but guess what? There's an uncut version and there's a scene. I'm not going to describe it now, but there's a scene with a baby and it's sick. And my friend turned to me after we'd done this film and he watched this film and he said. Who thinks 
up these things, who films these things, who actually thinks about them. And it's true, it's true. Who thinks about these things? And there was stuff in my book where I had to reach deep inside into some dark place to dream up these things. And I'm not some I'm not some crazy guy that just watches horror movies day in, day out. I watch a lot of different stuff. But I wanted to confront that side of me because every horror writer obviously has a dark side and we go into that place. I wanted to go into that place and see how far I could reach deep in and it seems that obviously there is a part of me that loves this stuff quite deeply and I managed to pull it out. <laughs> you certainly did. I mean, can we expect a follow-up? I mean, would you extend it to a trilogy or have you any plans to do that? Well, I, I would. I'm currently writing something called The Devils very slowly, which is, it, it, I would I would say this is going to be quite like the Beyond City of the Living Dead that sort of stuff. It's based on a um, satanic story, um, and it's going to be having a lot of, of of gore in it. So it's going to be pushing that pushing the boat out, but it's not going to be zombies or cannibals. It's going to be Based, I'll give you a very basic um, sort of outline. It's that you've got a paranormal investigator, researcher. He goes to a um, haunted c- castle, and he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in this stuff. He's doing it purely for scientific reasons, and he plays this. Um, he's basically there to record voices, so-called voices that he hears, and he hears them, and he's trying to analyze them scientifically. And it's a bit of Evil Dead in there. He plays them back, and. As, you, as as is usually the case, there's a burial ground nearby and lots of shit starts. <laughs> so that's what I'm writing at the moment very slowly. Um, that's going to be the next one, but that's going to be gory. It's going to be but it's going to be very gory, but there's going to be a lot of character development in it. Cool. Well, I, I'll, I'll definitely look forward to that and hopefully you'll... Um, you'll I'll uh, send that over to you, yeah, definitely. Hopefully you'll send me a copy, I was going to say. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um best of luck with that so Ravan thanks, thanks very much for talking to me it was, it's, it's brilliant to get no, your insights my pleasure and my pleasure and keep up the great work <laughs> yeah will do and um, yes stay in touch and um, we will we will we'll maybe speak again whenever you get the next book out yeah as soon as the new one is done it will be on its way to you definitely brilliant look forward to it well thanks very much Sourav cool take care Ian. you too